0: Hello everyone, this is Eric Glazer and welcome back to another live recording of Bright Spots in Healthcare produced by Shared Purpose Connect. We bring leaders together like the ones you see in front of you to inform our audience, but also unearth bright spots, successes at health plan related organizations around the country. Our goal is to identify as many bright spots as possible so that you can determine if the ideas shared during this episode, can be applied at your organization. We believe this strategy of identifying bright spots and cloning them is the most effective way to improve healthcare in our lifetime. If you have not subscribed to the Bright Spots in Healthcare podcast, where you can get all the incredible insights and bright spots from all of our incredible guests across the country, right down to your, delivered to your handheld or to your tablet, you should do that right now. Just go to your favorite podcast app, or wherever you listen to shows, type in Bright Spots in Healthcare, it'll pop right up with my ugly mug, click on subscribe, and you'll get all those shows uh, delivered right to you. Our topic today is equity, engagement, and nutrition. And I've organized our discussion roughly into four segments. First, we're going to talk about strategy and access. We're then going to move directly into talking about food insecurity as a major social driver and nutrition and how organizations are tackling that. We'll quickly uh, move into trust and engagement because they're so closely tied together. And then towards the end, we're going to start talking about blueprints and giving you guys a little bit of an understanding of how some of these incredible programs that are working so well, how they've been built so you can get an idea of how they may be applied and built at your organization and we have an all-star round table in front of you today and as usual to save time we're going to post their incredible bios in the show descriptions of your uh of the podcast app if you're listening on your uh, via podcast but if you're watching live right now via zoom we're going to post that link to all their bios right here in the chat so you have a opportunity to see some of the uh, experience and expertise you're about to benefit from. I'm going to introduce all of them very quickly, and then we're going to get into our first question. You have in front of you, Dr. Ramallah Batra. She is the chief medical officer at SCAN Health Plan. You have Leah Rusheri, director of Medicare growth and innovation at Humana. And last and certainly not least, Lauren Driscoll, the founder and CEO of Nourished Rx, who is incidentally an organization that's our latest partner to the Bright Spots in Healthcare podcast. And we are going to benefit a lot from her expertise and wisdom. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Nourished Rx later on during the show. So let's talk about strategy and access first. And I'm going to uh, you know, let, let's call on uh, Dr. Batra first. Uh, Ramala, could you talk to me and all of us about how SCAN thinks about inequities and access and how is your organization going about solving for better access to the traditionally underserved populations in the market?
1: Yeah, really quickly, for those of you who don't know about SCAN Health Plan, we are a Medicare managed care plan. We serve about 300,000 members in four different states, a very heavy footprint uh, in diversity of our populations, based out of California, Arizona, Texas, you folks can imagine. Uh, Since we're 65 and over, our focus is mostly on older adults. And as we think about equity, for us, the journey started a while back when we started collecting data on folks around race and language. And uh, super excited. We have data about uh, 90% of these individuals to uh, identify them by race and language, not yet ethnicity, but also have started collecting SOGI data. And so once you have the data, like what do you do with the data, you look at it and say, where are opportunities to improve? And when we think about our population, older adults, chronic conditions, relevant to chronic conditions, the things that come to mind are the usual high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes. And sure enough, that's where we looked. And when we looked at that, what we found very glaring, uh, not very surprising, though, in our Hispanic populations, there was a big difference when we looked at sugar control in diabetics. Similarly, in our Black populations, when we looked at a flu vaccination rate, they were like 12% lower when compared to you know, non-Black populations. And so for us, we decided um, on something called progress over perfection. Yes, the data can be better. And yes, we can get data on ethnicity. And yes, you, know, you can question, cross-question about it. But let's talk about what we know. And so for us, we started with making health equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion like a centerpiece of our overall strategy as a health plan. Like, Let's start there. Let's have a dedicated effort. And with that in mind, what we have decided to do is a uh, launch in a multi-year journey. So it's not like flavor of the year. This year we'll pick one metric and next we'll pick something else. We really want to double down, quadruple down. And in all humility, we know these are not easy to move numbers. And while they are numbers, these are real human beings that uh, you know are benefiting from outcomes. If we can improve sugar control in our Hispanic populations, which is lower, if we can uh, improve cholesterol medicine adherence, which prevents heart attacks and so many different things in our Hispanic populations. And similarly, in have Black population, if we can improve the vaccination rate, which are you know 12% lower than in non-Black populations. We feel like we would have made a difference. So, what I would say is focus on equity, progress over perfection. Yes, we have data, perhaps it's not perfect, but let's start and do something. And I'll just put put a little pitch in here. Can actually start for senior care action network. The action is in our middle name, and so we're not going to side stand on the sidelines. We're really going to do something about
0: it. Okay, I want to. I want to. That was that was gold. I want to make sure. I've got my notes right and doing so hopefully our audience, if they weren't taking notes, they should be, but I think this will help them. So first of all, the overall mindset is progress over perfection. You said that a couple of times. I love that. The strategy sounds like multi, you called it the multi-year journey and you were focusing on, did I catch that right? Three, three areas. That's correct. And so the uh, not in the order necessarily you said it, but I'm just going to flu shots in the black community uh because there's a big difference there between um black and non-non-black and second is the cholesterol medication adherence to reduce sort of cardiovascular disease in the hispanic population and then the third was is is it a1c for hispanic that's correct sugar control yes a1c and how, uh, so would you say multi-year journey, could you provide some parameters in years for us so we can get an understanding of how long that multi-year journey is for these three areas that you're looking at?
1: Yeah, so what we have done is as we looked at the differences in some areas like flu vaccination, it's a 12% difference. When, I, when we look at our traditional efforts, year over year, we improve maybe 1%, if that. And so with that in mind, the flu journey is a little bit longer. So five to six years, we'll say we want to eliminate the gap. We don't want to reduce the gap or incrementally improve. We really want to make it zero, which is very audacious, not there. For uh, for our diabetes, uh, diabetic population, when we looked at the gap, it was three to four percentage point. And so what we said, we want to make it a three to four year journey. And so what that means is every year we have a set target which says this year in order for us to get to a gap of zero this year we have to improve to 79 percent of people being on the sugar control and 81 percent of people being with the sugar control so it's a very black and white number and the way we can get to those numbers is being an ma plan you know uh, five star is in our dna and five star has very specific this is a cms program to total quality and so we know exactly what the what the metrics are. We know how everybody else does. We know how we do traditionally in all our populations. So this gives us a very uh, black and white footprint, gives us a very actionable data to say how much we do we want to improve and how are we going to improve it?
0: Okay. So it sounds like depending, you you back into the time parameters based upon a, a very pragmatic look into how much progress you can make. And it looks like for the three gaps that you're looking at, it ranges between somewhere between four and six years. That's right. We can close the gap, which I love. Very OKR-ish if you're a measure what matters person in the audience. Uh, Last thing, just for clarification, uh, Saramala, you mentioned the Senior Care Action Network, and you mentioned that at the very end. I just want to make sure that we understand what that is and what you mean by that, because I I wasn't sure and I want to hear about it.
1: So when we say uh, scan the health plan, scan spelled S-T-A-N, and actually the whole name is Senior Care Action Network. We were founded 45 years back by 12 passionate, diverse seniors who believed that they wanted to live healthy and independent in their homes, and that's our mission. And for them, um, it was when you look at a founding diagram, it was they wanted to have cap services and you know faith-based services and in-home services. And, so all the things about Social Drivers of Health was what they were standing for. And so they named our Senior Care Action Network. We can shorten it to SCAN.
0: So I, I don't want to call any of your colleagues. <laughs> so uh, as my producing team will tell you, Scan's one of our favorite organizations to have on the show. We've had a number of your colleagues on the show over the years that we've been hosting this. Not one of them has ever taught me that that is the acronym, Senior <laughs> There you go. So all the other scan folks, they they get a demerit, but you get a start. Uh l- let's uh also folks, little PSA, if you want to ask our uh panelists follow-up questions, <clears throat> if you something's not clear and you want some clarification, uh use the QA module. Uh Sherry and I and some and our panelists are looking at that and we'll be able to either in, in writing or I'll interject throughout the the conversation today and we'll bring your question up to all of them uh, verbally or in running. So um, definitely use that. So I want to bring in um, Leah, Leah Brucheri. She is the director of Medicaid growth and innovation, as I said earlier, at Humana. How, Leah, is Humana modeling around SDOH and what kind of programs do you have within your benefit design that enables you to provide better access and address social drivers for your population?
2: Yeah, thanks thanks, Eric. You know, one of the the interesting things about our approach at Humana is that we've taken this um, taken this stand that a gap related to a social determinant of health is really a gap a clinical gap in care. And that's been a huge part of our strategy and approach um for several years now. And as you can imagine, that's uh, driven quite a f- uh, quite a few changes to our benefit design and ensuring that we're really, both enabling access and accessibility. Um, because you know, one of the things you, you think about from a, a benefit design perspective is just having something available doesn't mean it's accessible, doesn't mean your members can use it. Um, and, and so that's been like a really important uh, consideration as we thought about benefit design uh, over, over the years. From an SDOH perspective, you know, one of my favorite benefits to talk about is our flexible care assistance benefit, um, which really is the the first in its kind. Um, It's offered as an SSBCI on a significant number of our our Medicare Advantage plans today. And that benefit acts as a care manager um, facilitated allowance to specifically allow our care management teams to address caps in care. Now, our care management teams are typically working with, you know, our chronically ill members, um, folks who have, you know, multiple um, hospital readmissions and are at risk for, you know, adverse health event. And, you know, in those conversations with our with the clinicians, you, know, I'm sure, you know, no one on this panel and frankly in the audience either would be surprised to hear that, you know, things like, I'm at risk of my utilities being turned off. I have no food in my refrigerator, that those types of things come up on uh, on in those calls. And what flexible care assistance has really enabled uh, enabled our care management team to do is deploy resources at that moment, at the point of the health claim finding out about something like food insecurity or nutrition insecurity while also enroll helping the member enroll in those local um, community groups that will help long term so we've been able to very quickly you know address those gaps and provide stabilization to those most the most vulnerable population while setting them up for long-term success wow,
0: I love that that should have just it launches everything. And just so anyone who's not deep into like maybe they're in a commercial line of business, they're not in Medicare. SSBCI is special supplemental benefits for the chronic for
2: the chronically ill.
0: Okay. So this is specifically a a um sub-benefit mm-hmm. chronically ill. Uh, I'm gonna a quick little um just a quick little sort of follow up question, and I don't know, Leah, if I'm going to put you on the spot, and 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 certainly, uh, I'd love to uh, get uh, Ramallah your 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 answer to this if you have one. So, is there data or an ROI model that's out there? Uh, whether you guys have a private layer, there's something out in the public domain that payers sort of need to look at and see to rationalize and get behind sort of the FAM reimbursement and. All things that I mean, just I I just want to inspire people on the call to to do some of these same things. I just want to get into their into your minds and sort of things you would need to bring this to your CEO or or somewhere else.
2: You know, from so obviously measuring ROI, um, measuring outcomes, those are absolutely important, Um, and it's also important to do that in the right way. I'd say for something like flexible care assistance, we're still too early to do uh, to do that. What I would say though is. You know, there's a wealth of information um, out there, both from an academic research perspective, um, as well as uh, healthcare data, to show that you know the link between health-related social needs and um, health outcomes. Uh, from an anecdotal perspective, what I can share is that you know we often hear from a member feedback perspective that this is the first time someone actually listened to what matters to me. They listened to what's top of mind, like what problems I see is critical in my life, as opposed to providing me instructions immediately. And that is something that is invaluable from a trust perspective, especially in those, you know, clinical settings. Um, and, you know, what we have absolutely seen is, you um, that trust building over time and i think you'll hear that too from lauren a little bit later and um, she talks about some of the um outcomes and, and the work that that they've done um with humana members in the past
0: right yeah you're you're, you're perfect perfect segue Uh, i, I don't Ramallah. anything to add there uh when you're thinking about it on the health plan side or, or should i Are we good
1: to move on? Just two quick points, you know, for us uh, in some areas where the ROI is a much longer road ahead, we look at BOI, value and investment, and the things that we look at, does it improve some quality benchmarks? So that's not a thing that we keep an eye towards. Uh, And I think that's what makes it a little bit different from your ROI. And then going back to have we seen the difference? We ourselves have looked at the data around people who have lack of access to transportation. What happens to them from admissions per thousand and ER visits per thousand? And there's a clear correlation. I and mean, you know it's hard to say causation, but for sure there's a clear correlation with food and transportation that we have looked at. Uh, And and these are not one and done things, just like Leah said, you know, you've started it, somebody needs it. It's not, you give it to them today and they're all fixed and taken care of. So I think we need to have a little bit longer.
0: Right. And that'll take Leah's transition line for me a little bit delayed. I want to move into food insecurity and nutrition and do that. I'm going to bring in Lauren Driscoll, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Rx. Lauren, I, I, like one of the, the most, significant challenges we see in the industry at least over the last five to eight years is realization that or at least not even change trend. yeah change trend is that non-clinical factors are just simply making a significant impact on cost of care and outcomes maybe even more than the clinical data so as health plans and providers are evolving and doing everything they can to sort of identify these these social drivers and social determinants and and finding things to mitigate uh, I, I'd love to get a sense from you because you get to see the whole country of an example maybe of a of a provider or plan and, and and how they're applying an innovative solution to make a big impact around nutrition and food specifically because that's the topic for today and I know there's some really effective you know farmer markets and food pharmacies that plans and providers are sponsoring but is there anything beyond that that you're seeing that's making a big impact
3: yeah, sure. I'm happy to and great to be here, Eric. Thank you. Um, before I dive into an example, and I actually, there are so many good examples that I, I may give more than one, but um I just want to say how heartening it is. So even though we do see produce prescriptions and farmers market vouchers and medically tailored meals quite frequently, um, it's just so heartening that we are beginning to see that frequently. Um you know, they're, they've all been very impactful and important to our understanding of the impact that healthcare delivery can really have by leveraging nutrition. Um, and in fact, at the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health in September, it really was these learnings from these programs that were being appreciated as the foundation of the work to be done, um, which makes total sense given we know that poor diet is the number one risk factor. Associated with death, disease, and disparities, and all the related costs. So, of course, we should be building upon you know what is what is known. Um, and so, yes, there there are good examples of plans and providers who are going beyond these programs in innovative ways and unlocking you know even greater impact. Um, and Humana and Scan are definitely leaders in this innovation space. So. Um, you know, really great to have Leah and Romola with us. Uh, the, the first example I'll call out, I won't say too much about, uh, Leah referenced it, um, but Humana is going to be unveiling this program at Academy Health next week. Um, so I don't want to say too much, but at a high level, uh, Humana was able to demonstrate that by providing customized food interventions, for individuals who are clinically complex and also at risk of food insecurity um, and customizing across food formats. So medically tailored meals, groceries, and or a healthy food card, they were really able to drive very impressive engagement and whole health outcomes and and really importantly, underscore this lasting dietary change. So the, the customization went beyond providing personalized food But it also factored in taste preferences, communication preferences, social and clinical circumstances, and um, again, really important, individual readiness for change. Um, And so by doing this, they found that meaningful connections were fostered, and um, this led to improved physical and mental health outcomes, um, a greater sense of self-efficacy, and really empowerment towards towards managing overall health. Um, I'll give you two more quick examples um, of nutrition related programs that are innovative and, and have been extremely effective with two very different target cohorts. Um, the second is a provider sponsored health plan in the Midwest and their goal really is to improve outcomes, reduce medical spend for their members who have uncontrolled diabetes. Um, specifically members who have A1Cs of eight or greater, who are also at risk of food insecurity. And this program is actually being administered across all lines of business for this health plan. Um, and they, they had worked with a digital nutrition solution before that wasn't providing food, and they'd met with some success, but they were really unhappy with the long-term engagement and the long-term impact. So Um, in particular with those members who were in health disparity groups. Um, So in order to achieve consistent engagement and lasting behavior change, they deployed a flexible solution that not only provided personalized food, but also, you know, while connecting with a member through the provision of food, they were able to provide education and coaching, um, you know that and then the the food was very personalized to address cultural cuisine preferences preparation preferences functional status does someone have the dexterity to be able to prepare food and um really what what is the what is the individual's understanding of nutrition um so in a sense the food was being used on is, is being used this program still ongoing almost as experiential education um and they they're really able to leverage fairly straightforward touch points like deliver you know communicating delivery logistics to also provide education and coaching and this program um, has has been working really well they've been able to see a two point drop in A1Cs over just fourteen weeks and. Um, while the cost savings haven't been calculated yet on this program, we've heard from a number of payer partners that a one-point drop in A1C typically represents about eight dollars and $10,000 in medical savings annually. So we're that's an exciting, exciting example. And the last one quickly is a program that, that uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota has done. It was designed specifically as a health equity program supporting BIPOC birthing members, really with the goal of reducing health disparities um, for for maternal and and infant health outcomes. Um, And in this program, I think the real takeaway was cultural responsiveness is just absolutely critical. So there's a high proportion of members who are Somali in, in Minnesota. And so the ability to personalize and source locally was just critical to the success of this program. Um, You know, initially, we were able to match members with taste preferences, like so avoid eggplant, but it became quite apparent that with the significant differences in Somali um, cuisine and, and patterns that the food sourced from a local Somali kitchen, a CSA that supported minority farmers, a halal grocery store, um, really, really was was critical. Um, And this program also has met with great success. Um, In particular, the case group here saw a 30% lower NICU admission rate relative to a case mix-adjusted control group. Um, They saw reduced ED utilization and lower cost of care um, in the case group than in the control group. And then there were positive, um, unanticipated consequences, such as positive word of mouth in the Somali community, which has historically been harder for for healthcare providers and plans to engage, um, basically, acquaintances of the program participants were calling Blue Plus to the the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota. Medicaid plan to to sign up for the plan. So while while not measured, there was really anecdotal evidence of very positive impact on plan enrollment. Um, And excitingly, we've also been able to show statistically significant evidence of a reduction in medical spend with clinically complex food insecure cohorts of close to $500 per member per month, which represented about Two and a half dollars in medical savings for every one dollar spent um, by this particular plan. So there are, you know, three different use cases leveraging personalized nutrition solutions to really improve outcomes, drive savings, and and drive health equity.
0: I love that and three different examples. And obviously, even on the A one C, one doesn't have data yet. I, I, that's probably the one time true. Statistically, if you know efficacious. You Not know, you lower A one C. So you're going to reduce total cost of care. So that's great. I I want I have one follow up. I just want to make sure I captured all this because I was taking some notes. You, you mentioned personalization or customization a number of times, and I caught six things uh, that made up that personalization. So I just want to summarize that for the audience and make sure I get it right, Lauren. So if I, I if I missed anything, I'd like you to add to it or misrepresent one. And then I have a follow-up around personalization. So I heard cultural differences, which is a big one, uh, which is really interesting. I heard taste preferences. I bet you a lot of people listening are diving into those two. Communication preferences. Understanding, this is number four, understanding the educational level regarding nutrition and how well they understand nutrition is number four. Five, their individual readiness for change. I'd like to know a little bit how that gets measured, but that's five. And then six, their clinical circumstances. Did I miss it? Yeah. So that makes up sort of a little bit of your personalization approach and these plans who are working with you, their personalization approach. Did I miss anything?
3: No, no, you 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 got them all. Thank you, Eric. So, so I,
0: I, I have a question about that. And it's two part. One, like how, how do plans get so personalized? They get this data and then are able to effectively create action on it. And maybe you could double click on the individual readiness for change, which is a variable that uh, I imagine... People are curious and how you measure that as well. So first, maybe in general, how do you get personalized? And let's double click on individual readiness for change.
3: Sure. Yeah. So it's really important to understand a person and their life with respect to food. Um, food is obviously very personal. And so at the onset of any program, we do a, a, a an intake survey that really gets at all of those different elements that you, that you uh, delineated, Eric. Um, and then, you know, it's in order to be able to respond to that, you know, the individual characteristics that we come to understand through that survey, it's very important that we have high quality food partners to be able to source from and uh, and allow personalization across the different formats of food Um and in terms of the um, readiness for change, there are a number of of different models that are used in healthcare around uh, behavior change. Um, but one in particular is is uh, Prochaska, and there are really five steps of change: um, sort of pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and willpower, and then maintenance. Finally. And so we ask questions that really help us understand where an individual is on that trajectory um, to to really be able to know how to, you know, meet a member where they are. So, for example, if um, someone really has no awareness of nutrition, and it's alarming how frequently we come across that um, and has been exposed for generations to, um, you know, Food with very little produce and and you know fruits or vegetables and primarily fast food they may almost have a nostalgic attachment to that and so we have to understand that and um, make sure that you know if if we're trying to transition to someone to a a, a more balanced diet that we aren't going to start giving them you know kale salad day one so that's that's the importance of of readiness for change.
0: My daughter's tradition is Chick Chick Fil A, so maybe you could help me out. And back in uh, Leah, Leah, how is uh, Humana approaching nutrition and food, and how are you getting your MA and dual members to to engage?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost you know from a food and nutrition perspective Humana has you know three main programs available through our benefit design today um, first and foremost pre-made meals for post members who are post-acute it's really a stabilization program so you know per post um, inpatient stay post-skilled nursing stay um, a significant number of our members will have access to pre-made home delivered meals Um to ensure that they have access to condition-specific food while they're recovering that doesn't require a lot of effort um, and a lot of lift on their part um, to maintain maintain their health. Um, we have an extended version of that that's available for members who are chronically ill and who are also food insecure. And so those members who are um, food insecure can actually or who screen positively for food insecurity um, can receive additional home-delivered meals for an extended amount of time um, and up to actually six months of home-delivered meals while they're working through all of those, um, all of the different community resources um, to support them from a long-term perspective. Uh, As you can imagine, there's uh, great interest in those those programs, both from a, uh, just from an ease of use, perspective um, and from a food security and nutrition security perspective. Um, the last one, though, which is the one I really want to talk about today, uh, is our healthy options allowance. Um, healthy options, it, formerly Healthy Foods, um, or Healthy Foods card, um, is really that next iteration of where we see healthy um, or where we see grocery-type allowances um, moving in, in the future. Um, up for those who might not be familiar with this style of benefit, um, they're very similar to um, OTC, over-the-counter retail cards, or um, HSA or FSA for, for folks who are in the, um, in the commercial space. Um, they work like a debit card, and they are pre-programmed to ensure that only approved products can be purchased with that allowance. Um, and the uh, the dollars are the allowances are loaded on a monthly or quarterly basis, and uh, folks then can use them and deploy those funds as needed um, at the point of sale. So, from a food perspective within Humana, we've aligned our healthy options allowance, you know significantly to snap. Um, though we have expanded from that uh, to, as Lauren mentioned, um, ensure we're supporting differing levels of ability, um, both physical and, um, you know, frankly, you know, levels of ability when it comes to nutrition. So, you know, as an example, um SNAP uh, doesn't allow you to buy pre-made food. Um, and yet for um for for many seniors, and frankly for myself as an example, um, uh, something like a rotisserie chicken is easily accessible. Um, it is an excellent, you know, nutrition source, and you don't have to have access to, you know, a comprehensive kitchen in order to, in order to use it. Um, so we'll, we've expanded really to ensure that there are different that the product itself can support differing levels of ability. Um,
0: so saying, yeah. that must build a, a, an incredible connection between Humana and the individuals using this service. I and mean, it seems like a really good.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the, the primary pillars around which we, we built this service is uh, self-direction, you know, an agency. You know, we want our, um, the members are serving to be able to deploy those funds toward the food purchases that uh, are of highest priority to them. Um, and, you know, for many, uh, for many of our members, you know, we, we continue to hear that, you know that connection, that or frankly removal of a pain point or a stressor is it provides a significant impact to not only physical health but mental health um, in that you know, you're no longer worrying about about food, about running out of food, about you know running out of money to pay for food or making the difficult choice between do I fill my prescription or do I buy groceries? do I pay my utility bills or do I ensure I have breakfast tomorrow? Um, and that has really created, you know, meaningful connection as well as, um, as well as trust.
0: Now there, Leah, you're going to, you're like my co-producer here. So that's a perfect segue into trust and engagement where I want to get into. Uh, I, I do, I think it was also a good time uh, just to give you, everyone listening a little bit uh, of insights uh, to, Nourished Rx, which is a great partner for us. We're going to be covering a lot around cardiometabolic and and food and nutrition and social drivers throughout the next year, year and a half. Had a lot of really good meetings at AHIP AHIP with a lot of you listening, and a lot of you talked about topics tied to this. And so we're really excited to have Nourished Rx as one of our newest partners. They they leverage the power of, of healing and connection around food, and they partner with as you've heard, providers, health plans, uh, other healthcare risk-bearing entities around the country to nourish uh, the most your most vulnerable members to build healthy relationships, engage and support access and equity. They deliver, as you've heard, really personalized culturally relevant meals and groceries to members, along with a whole wraparound uh, service tied to their dietary needs. And they are already making incredible uh, progress in actionable insights and measurable impact uh, around total cost of care and obviously uh, the customer or the member experience, which impacts your star ratings, your NPS scores, et cetera. You can learn more about them at nourishedrx.com. It's exactly how it sounds, uh, spelled exactly how it sounds. Uh, And they also in preparation for today's session, I got to read this really interesting case study around a uh, a plan in a particular region around engaging their members through the personalization of food it, it sort of gets it's a little bit more detail around some of the stories that you heard lauren, lauren share earlier and i think everyone will benefit from reading it it's uh it's not necessarily it's, it's an internal document basically and i'm happy to share it with you in pdf format if anyone wants it i'll email it to you personally just let us know sherry will put up a poll and we'll we'll take care of you uh, following the show with a personalized email. Uh, I, I want to now get into trust and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring back uh, Ramallah Batra, uh, the CMO at SCAN. You know, a lot of what Scan's doing, I know uh, Dr. Batra is predicated on the organization's ability to build that rapport with each one of your members. I've always been so impressed with how culturally you guys are so focused on that. So how, how do you think about trust with members leveraging food and nutrition? Yeah, so for us,
1: you know, it's it, starts with building a relationship. Um, And when we looked at our interventions, past interventions, when we looked at uh, best practices, and when we looked at, honestly, data from uh, language and cultural concordance between PCP and a patient, what we found that cultural concordance is a big deal. And so as we thought about this multi-year journey and focusing on populations that are diverse, that are not getting to the outcomes they should be getting, we started by uh, recruiting teams that are culturally and linguistically concordant with the populations that we're serving. So for example, for this multi-year health equity journey, when uh, we recruited in the last few months, folks, they are pharmacists, we have social workers, we have community health workers, we have dietitians, we have physicians. They speak the same language and wherever possible, are culturally also concordant with the patients or the members that we are trying to serve. So that's, that's the start. Uh, That being said, it's not all to get to where you need to get to. What we also have figured out that we have to meet members where they are. Yeah, you said it very well, what matters to them. So instead of pushing our agenda, which as physicians, we are very well known to do that. You know, I want to push my agenda. I want to talk to you about your A1C control. It starts with starting with what's on your mind, what matters to you and building that relationship. And it's not one and done. I always joke it's not one of those uh, medicine prescription kind of a call. It takes months sometimes to make it happen. It, these are longer calls. Sometimes we have to be in people's homes so they can see our people, you know, establish that trust, establish that rapport. And after we have done that is when we can really get to the issue of, And let's not talk about your diabetes. Because it truly may be, I don't understand what my doctor is telling me. I don't trust these, these medicines make me sick. Do I don't know if I should pick my food or I should pick my insulin. So we have to first solve for all those things. And once you have gotten those one small little wins, that's when the trust starts forming. And that's when we get to, now let's talk about IVT. Like, What do you understand of it? Are you, to Lauren's point, are you ready for that change? It's, 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 it's a behavior change. It's not like what makes it happen. And sometimes once you have formed the trust, what you understand is what people know and what they don't know. Uh, many a times when we have our clinicians in the house, they're alive. people don't know how to draw their insulin, like they are doing it all wrong, but they're not going to talk about that day one as they're talk- uh, as they're talking about other things. So starting with what matters to you, cultural concordance, I would say, all our teams are trained in motivational interviewing uh, and cultural humility. Building trust and rapport and then getting to you know what I'm ca- talking about, clinical clinical metrics that we want to move on. We don't start with, okay, let's talk about your a let's talk about your flu shot. It starts from where you are, what matters to you, how can we work together, what's your goal? And for some, the goal is I want to be able to go to the church on Sunday and I cannot fit in my shoes because my legs are swollen because I have heart failure. Too. I want to attend my daughter and granddaughter's wedding. So we have to start there.
0: So I, I think one of the things I'm, I'm hearing from everyone is we definitely have to invest in the personalization to build true trust and engagement, and and the business dollars, the cost savings will will come through if it's if it's well intentioned and tied to the most costly, especially the cardiometabolic diseases, which I think we're all alluding to here. Uh, I, I want to uh, just a quick. Uh, I said this in the chat for everyone who's listening. I'm a, I'm a little bit, I'm a lot behind schedule today. I don't know why we're, we've fallen so far behind. It normally never happens. So I'm going to have to jump around a little bit here towards the end. So I'm telling that to my panelists because I'm going to jump around a bit. I, I want to tie up engagement with a nice bow. And Lauren, how are you thinking about engagement tied to food? And are there any kind of results you could share with some of the health plans you're seeing out there?
3: Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, we measure engagement in several ways. Um, we looked at opt-in rates, so the number of people we contact who choose to participate. Um, there, we're achieving around ninety percent. We look at ongoing engagement with our with our programs and offerings, um, and there we've been also um, unusually high, about eighty five percent. And then we also look at uh, retention in the in the program over over the, the full course of, of the program or, or the, the benefit year. Um, and there we're, we're also uh, north, north of 80%. Um, so we're very proud of all of those metrics. Um, but the, I mean, just to unpack it for a second, the bottom line is that for centuries, the world over, people connect and come together and build trust around food. And so we really see our ability to provide food Um, not only to nourish and teach, but also really to convey dignity and respect by being culturally concordant. And um, it just enables us to really build, to engage, build and go beyond engagement, build, build connection and uh, drive activation.
0: And and Lee, I know you you guys are focused on local as a strategy as well. uh, And, um, there's some alluding to the to the pilot that was being done uh with nurse rx I and mean, can you speak a little bit to just your approach to local it could be nurse rx specific or or anywhere around the country
2: yeah sure you know one of one of the challenges you know with you know something like a ho- healthy options allowance is that you know in order to ensure that you know, you're offering something like this compliantly you tend to partner with a you know, national retailer network that already exists. But as you can imagine, um with that sort of national retailer footprint um, in which food deserts already exist, ac- accessibility issues already exist. Um, despite you, know, despite best intentions, you you will find pockets where you, know, there isn't something available, and you need more. so there there are two things Humana um, or one thing in particular, I want to call it that that Humana has done, um, recently partnered um, in the last year or so uh, with a um, uh, with an alliance of local farmers and green markets to um, ensure that those um, those green markets and farmers' markets actually will accept our um, healthy options allowance. So, you know, folks who, uh, in particular in neighborhoods where these green markets are deployed to address food deserts uh, can use their Medicare Advantage benefits within the markets themselves um, and, you know, have that, you know, local and not only that easier access, but that local access as well. Um, that said, you know, one of the, um, one of the, Challenges I think you continue to have is that culturally concordant approach, and that's where you know a partner like Nourish RX is so critical, and uh, because that's that's where their expertise lies, right? Understanding and connecting in that um, you know hyperlocal community to the vendors and the resources that are going to ensure program success.
0: I love that. I want to get into playbooks now. I want to like let's map out for folks how to how to how to build programs. Uh, before I do that, I want to, everyone a quick uh, announcement. You've received now in your inbox a survey from me, another email from me. Yeah, another email from me, just asking your feedback about where we should go for the rest of the year on topics and how we could be better. How was this episode received by all of you? So I, I ask you the favor. It's all multiple choice. If you're a regular, you know it's two or three minutes. And we listen to everything. We look, I read every individual response to those. So we ask you in advance uh, for your uh, two or three more minutes of your time to just give us some feedback. One of the things that has been suggested to us multiple times this year in particular was how do we make it easy for the regulars to attend these things live rather than create uh, a brand new, make you re-register each time. And we haven't totally solved that. But one of the sort of quick fixes we've done is allowing you, if you're on the call live right now by a zoom to register for the next couple by just clicking yes and so we have two very related episodes coming up next week won't be a live episode you'll see a new episode dropped a recorded one talking about psychedelics as a new bright spot in mental health it's super interesting yale university researchers going to be on the show and then the next two live episodes are going to be around medicaid redetermination which is related although we didn't talk about that to this topic and then of course how ai is changing engagement. with members. So if you want to come to one or both of those next two live episodes coming up in two or three weeks, you just click there, 12 o'clock Thursday. So uh, Ramala, I would love you to talk about the SCAN playbook and how are you making all this all work for a personalized approach to driving better engagement through food and nutrition? What are some of the core components that make up your overall strategy?
1: I think it starts with not thinking about it as a, as a pilot program on the side of your desk that somebody gets assigned to. For us, m- making health equity a strategic priority was a big thing. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of our initiatives that has been th- sponsored by our board of directors. I'm super excited for the funding for this for the next three years has been approved by our board of directors because one more time, it's a strategic focus. So I think that's a big deal. The second thing I want to say is that when we get started with these things, we have to also make sure that we have the right teams doing the right things. And that's where having a dedicated team versus asking somebody to do this as a part, new part of their workflow is, is another one. Um, you know, as I shared, it's not one and done kind of calls. They take longer. You have to do in-home visits. You have to get physicians on board and whatnot. So that's the second thing. The third thing is, uh, we cannot do it alone. We need an ecosystem of folks who are like-minded, but also have like incentives. So all of us at Skin Health plan have an employee incentive. It's a it's a company incentive around making a difference. Our I mean, bonuses are tied to it. We have also introduced this as a part of our provider incentive plan. And then we are working as we are working with our you know, vendor partners. They will have the same thing built into their contract. And last but not the least, the community partners who are very instrumental in making this happen, same, same for them. So whole ecosystem with aligned incentives is the last one. And then the last I would say is data. Not only just getting data, but real actionable data. Like how would I know, like how much do I need to move in order for us to get to those year over year goals? So Our data says we have to impact at least a few thousand people, which means, you know, I have to do the math and say, hey, I have to have X number of people engaged. How many of of them are engaged at this point in time? How many of them are tracked? So, like, literally looking at data on a weekly basis so we can pivot and continue to kind of iterate on our strategies. So, actionable data, ecosystem, of uh, community providers, providers, employees, teams with incentives tied to it a very strategic focus and a dedicated multidisciplinary team that has cultural linguistic conformance.
0: Love it. You, you steal my summary. It's perfect. <laughs> the one thing I, I want to make sure I heard correctly because you started with it was almost making it a part of your core strategy and culture, right? It's yeah. embedded in your culture, which obviously has to start at the top. Um, but that's key too, right? That that kind of fuels everything else. Absolutely. All right. I, what about, so uh, I'm, Lauren, how about from an infrastructure standpoint, like how, what, what are some of the core things that need to be in place for folks to be successful in a, in a much more personalized approach to nourishment?
3: Right. Well, so just to call out the, the challenge that we're trying to address here, um, you know, personalization of food is not brand new. Family members, you know, primarily daughters and mothers have across the world for centuries have been. Uh, providing personalized healing food that's culturally relevant and, um, you know, healing and healthy. Um, But doing it at scale is the challenge. So first and foremost, you really need technology that allows for efficient and effective administration of the personalization. Um, Secondly, second, you, you really need to be able to authentically personalize and in order to do that, you do need a network of high quality food providers who provide food across the different formats of food. Um, and third, also part of the technology is the ability to uh, connect with people, communicate with people in an omnichannel manner so that we can really meet the member where they are in terms of tech comfort and tech access and just preference um you need data analytics capabilities in order to monitor impact and um, and then you need connectivity with with the payer or the provider um, ideally in an interoperable format so that there's a light lift in terms of information exchange and ideally um, give the payers the ability to have real-time 360 degree view of what's going on with their patients and members. Um, so yeah, so so those are those are the, the dimensions of the program or the structure that that I think will ensure success.
0: Can you define? Uh, maybe I got the word wrong. You call it the multi dimensions of 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 food um, food sources or food resources? Can you define oh,
3: different formats, right? Yeah. So being able to provide medically tailored meals or medically tailored groceries or um, you know grocery bundles with food prep guidance, uh, meal kits. Uh, healthy food cards, food vouchers, being able to to really be able to, one of the ways you have to personalize is to understand what format or combination of formats is best for an individual.
0: Okay, that's great. I, I want to, um, and I know folks, there's a lot of questions. Uh, we've got some subject matter experts behind the scenes, uh, answering them and writing. We may not get to all these questions. We'll m- maybe hopefully follow up with some of them as well afterwards the email. Uh, I, I want to uh, maybe take it a little bit. Uh, I guess we have time to do two things. So let's, first, let's take it home with a story. And if we have time, I want to get into caregiving. I think that's how we're going to play it right now. So I, I want Lauren to talk about you know, how does this impact individual human beings and what could the benefit be uh, just on a personal level for these individuals who are getting into these programs uh, on the power of integrating a multidisciplinary whole person care team to food and local to build this, you know, new dynamic, this new trustworthy relationship between payer and, and, and member and change someone's life. Like, can you, can you share with us how that works? when it-
3: Yeah. For sure, I'll I'll give you an example of one individual member. Um, we we call him Mike. Uh, he lived. I'll tell you why I say it in past tense later, but he lived in Indianapolis. Um, he was homebound. He lived alone. Um, he was he screened as being at risk of depression and loneliness. 61 years old, over 250 pounds, and we really watched him go through all the stages of change um, as part of our our program. So initially, you know, stage one, pre-contemplation. There's often denial and resistance, and boy oh boy, was he resistant. We really wondered why he had even signed up for the program, but. In working with our wellness associate, who was a seasoned social worker, um, we were able to get him from pre-contemplation to um, to the next stage, where he started receiving prepared meals and enjoying them. And you know, was surprised by the amount of vegetables that were you know accompanying any of the protein sources, um, and recognized that he was starting to feel better. And so from there, he and and he was losing weight. Um, and so from there we graduated him actually to grocery bundles with, with meal prep guidance and nutrition education. And, um, he really dove in like he, he had the motivation and, um, and the, the positive feedback of, of actually feeling much better, um, so that he was, um, preparing, preparing food and, and even sharing recipes with friends and family. And one of the, the elements of the story that I think is the sweetest is he had a real nostalgic attachment to putting a spoonful of sugar in practically everything. Apparently his mother and grandmother had told him this. So his salad dressing, for example, had a spoonful of sugar in it. And he recognized through our program that that wasn't so good for him with his, he had a heart failure diagnosis and also uh, diabetes. That he uh, started crushing up blueberries to make blueberry vinaigrette and still get that sense of of sweetness and shared that with people. Um, fast forward, Mike ended up losing um, seventy five pounds, and he we connected with him recently. So this is now you know over a year after he was part of the program, and he um, was feeling so good. He got himself an RV. And is um is traveling. I think when we when we were in touch with him, he was in Florida. He's taking a walk every day, and he's, you know continuing his his healthy diet. So um, you know, just a, it was transformational for him.
0: Great story. Great story. I, I don't know, Leah, if you could do this, I, I typically I, I debate if I should ask a question this late a uh, top three hour, but i i am a huge believer in the in the organization and almost militarization of caregivers as a way to solve our access epidemic in this in this country. And I, I'm curious uh, how you are viewing the role of the caregiver in nutrition, trust and access at Humana.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be really quick in this. Um, absolutely critical. And, you know, I, as I think about caregivers, you know, we have members who obviously have, you know, unpaid caregivers in their family, right? Someone is, their care receivers. We also have members who are caregivers of others. And so, you know, as we think about, you know, the role of caregiving and food and nutrition, you know, I think we have to look at those caregivers as absolutely critical, critical enablers, and in, you know, designing benefits and designing programs, doing so in a way that brings the caregiver along um, that makes that helps them be part of the solution and you know, it really enables that connected approach across humans um, and across people to ensure that we have the right support systems in place and you know knowledge knowledge is being shared, you know, like Lauren mentioned with, you know, Mike going off and you know cross pollinating his friends and family with everything that he's learned. Um, I think that's the beauty, one of the beauties of food and nutrition. Um, this information can be shared, and it can grow, and all of those impacts can spiral.
0: We got such a good way. We got to do a caregiving episode and bring it back. I, I want to thank all of you. Uh, what what a terrific discussion. I, I apologize for being got a little bit off schedule there. Uh, took to Ramala and and, and Lauren and Leah. Thank you so much for all the time you took to prepare and participate today. We hope everyone listening, I do not take the hour that you spent with us, whether you're on a walk, on a drive, watching live on webinar, I don't take the time you spent with us lightly. Uh, We hope that you could use the bright spots and ideas shared today to inspire your thinking and enhance your company's current approach uh, to improving healthcare for all of us. Uh, I produce this show for all of you. This is your bright spots in healthcare podcasts. Take care, everyone. Hey, everyone. Before you take off, just a few quick items. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, I ask you the huge favor of giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. It sounds fickle, but these ratings really help us make this podcast sustainable long-term. Even better, If you could write a positive comment or testimonial, that would be very helpful. We'd really appreciate it. If you have suggestions, constructive criticism, or simply want to connect, I am on LinkedIn, Twitter, at Eric Glazer, or you can email me directly at eglazer at sharedpurposeconnect.com. The Bright Spots in Healthcare podcast is produced by Sherry Keels, Cesar Del Castillo, and me. Thank you for listening.